creating better businesses with Discovery Business Insurance. Hey everyone, welcome to the Healthy Business Show brought to you by Discovery Business Insurance. One of the first steps of setting up a business is a business plan. Alex Fraser is a consultant, academic and entrepreneur who is passionate about building a vibrant, sustainable entrepreneurial ecosystem. She reveals the secret of a strong business plan and what are the most common misconceptions of strategy. Alex, so good to see you again and uh, good to have you up here in Johannesburg in this uh, in this very cozy studio. Thanks for having me, Fred. It's great to be here. I want to kick things off with just a little bit of information gathering just about you, actually, because I think you, you wear so many different hats, Alex. Every time I meet with you, it's in a different guise, right? So you're officially a polymath. <laughs> you're an entrepreneur, you're an investor, you're a consultant, you're a strategist. You have so many different skills. How would you define you, Alex, if somebody had to ask you that question? So I actually studied molecular biology. I was always going to be a doctor and then I ended up doing microbiology and I loved the lab and working in a lab and working on different projects, but it also was incredibly frustrating. And I thought, do I want to spend my life working on one very small but potentially significant thing or do I want to be on the other side, outside of the lab, but working with innovators and entrepreneurs and and scientists to try and commercialise and realize the potential of these amazing discoveries. So that's kind of where I started. And that led me to go and study entrepreneurship and then actually work in biotech and medical device investing. So helping these entrepreneurs and these scientists actually commercialize a lot of the research that they've done. And and I, I realized also that I, I see businesses almost as puzzles where to figure out a business, you need to look at all the different components and see how they fit together and where the gaps are and how they how they work. And I find that fascinating. Mm. Um, kind of like the periodic table. Yeah, or figuring out how a virus replicates or something. You sure. know, everyone's unique and everyone's put together slightly differently, and and that's how they work. So I like figuring out how things work. Okay. Yeah. So and I believe that if things work well, they've got they've got massive potential. And what keeps you the most busy? What is the kind of priority on your So priority schedule? is definitely, I think, my my current business. but um, Which is Fraser Consulting. Which is Fraser Consulting, sure. which is really, you know, to look after, well, I work with a, a wide variety of clients and help them, whether it's around innovation strategy, program design, ecosystem development. It's quite a fun job, right? It is Because on really the one fun. hand, you're working with really big clients like the Waterfront and then you're also working with disconnected entrepreneurs in in you know in the outlying communities, which obviously must keep you really fulfilled. Yeah, right? so I mean, it's it's wonderful. It's a, it's a real privilege to be able to work with entrepreneurs and from all over Africa. Um, so I do some really interesting pan-African projects, but also the other side of the work is really a lot around policy and also how do you create this enabling environment. So on the one hand, it's understanding the entrepreneurs and helping them with their journey. But on the other hand, it's around working with key stakeholders and governments around how do you create an enabling environment. Uh, and also a lot with early stage investors as well. So how do you, you know, you kind of often entrepreneurs need investors to invest in them. Investors need entrepreneurs. Everyone needs an enabling environment. Corporates are also looking for innovative solutions and wanting to partner increasingly with startups. So how do you bring all these pieces of the puzzle together and actually create something that's sustainable 
And so I do a lot of work building the ecosystem and the community. I have always had a fundamental belief that new technologies and businesses can change South Africa and Africa for the better. I think that entrepreneurship and innovation and funding new startups is something that's fundamental if we are to grow as a society and an organization and to create jobs. And so you really, I mean, uh, ostensibly you have this temperature gauge on on the country from a lens of entrepreneurship and, and, and business. What is where do you think it stands in terms of you know what is the temperature at the moment? Are we are we looking? Is it quite bleak or are we looking quite warm? Honestly, yes. Be honest. Give us the brutal truth. I think many many entrepreneurs are really struggling at the moment. In what sense, Alice? I think a lot of entrepreneurs, and when I'm thinking also not just necessarily about SMEs, I'm also thinking, or startups, I'm also thinking about SMEs. I think a huge number of them are really struggling with the economic climate at the moment um, and decreased demand for their product. I've also seen that there's been a drop in discretionary spending along a lot of programs as well. So I think entrepreneurs are also finding that there's, whereas there might have been programs that provided support in the past, those programs are... For example, what kind of programs? Whether it's an enterprise or supplier development program or even accelerator program. Okay. But I think it's also, you know, the level of red tape and compliance that a small business in South Africa has to go through is quite extraordinary. Is that changing? I mean, you're working at policy level. Do you see that changing? I mean, there's some noises recently that... Yes, but I think it's too slow. And specifically when you look at some of the the policy changes that other African countries are making, I mean, Mm. we're being left behind. Mm. You know, Tunisia has passed a Startup Act, which is just incredible. What's the details of that? So they have published the the Startup Act, and it's basically a policy to drive entrepreneurship, so much so that they've actually mandated that employers need to grant employees a year of leave to go and pursue their own business interests and if their business fails they can still come back to their job sweet lord almighty i know so how much does a ticket to tunisia cost (laughs) that's insane it is insane but it's also like the level of investors suddenly that are popping up there it's just incredible so if tunisia can be can pass the startup which is tiny obviously yeah so um and also i mean it's it's that's just one example of of some of the the changes that they've made. But if they can do it, why can't we? What's what's what is what is stopping us from from doing that? Because it is such a vital element of our economy, right? Of any economy, but in particular economy like ours, which desperately needs that injection of innovation and and uh, and growth that only the startup sector can yeah. can initiate. I think there are a number of different elements, but it's really understanding how difficult it is as a small business to operate in this environment and operate legally. So if you are a registered business and mm. you are employing people in line with the label. So we're not or, talking uh, informal. We're not talking, talking proper, if, if you are a formalized business in South Africa, small business in South Africa, it is incredibly onerous to comply with legislation and very expensive. How difficult is that for us to change as a, as a nation? I mean, are we talking about, you know, five years away or are we talking about leadership, which just needs to be bold and make that step? 
everyone is suddenly jumping on this bandwagon of entrepreneurs are going to come and save the day. Yeah. We're going to create all this economic growth and we're going to create all these jobs and it's going to be amazing. Yeah. But actually, the pressure is being put on those entrepreneurs without changing the regulatory environment. Mm. So we've suddenly shifted the responsibility for creating jobs and economic growth onto this so-called pool of entrepreneurs, but we haven't changed the environment in which they do business. Yeah, it feels like we're encouraging people to to go the distance, but along the way, there's this huge crevice that they need to jump over and everybody's just falling in. Mm. So we need to bridge that gap, right? Absolutely. And it's also not to say that we shouldn't have legislation, but could we not have legislation that is incremental, similar to how the BEE codes work. So you only need to comply with the full extent of all the the different codes and BEE legislation once you are classified as a large enterprise and you're doing turnover of 50 million a year. And before that, the legislation is tiered. So you... As a small business, mm. you are in so order... So 10 million rand or something, you're yeah, exempt, so then you're right? There's qualified. a whole bunch exactly. of those different So tiers. you could do something very similar along Labor Relations Acts, whether it's around a lot of the different kind of different policies, maybe even some of the tax as well. More tax breaks and more incentives also for smaller businesses could be incredibly useful to entrepreneurs and really start spurring economic growth. So let's talk about then, you know, our audience and the people listening to this podcast who are starting their own businesses or running their own businesses or scaling their own businesses. I want to really zero in on this topic of a business plan. What is a business plan if we can define it? And then why should we care? Why should we have a business plan? So to me, a business plan is not a 50 to 100 page Word document that you have paid a consultant to write for you and then sits on a shelf and gathers dust and you, it's outdated by the time it's even printed. That's the big problem though, right? You write this, you spend a whole lot of time and it never really actualizes. You always kind of skew you know, either north or south of this plan and it, it doesn't seem to really fulfill what you put down on, on paper. Yeah. So for me, a business plan should be a living document. It should be the embodiment of the fundamental elements of your business. It should include really detailed information on your business's strategy. What are the activities and tactics that will allow you that you need to do in order to implement that strategy? What resources do you need to to run that strategy? And then how will your, what is your business model? So understanding how your business model will work and how your business will grow and be sustainable. And it should be a living document. So I love that. The best business plan I've seen was a really big PowerPoint presentation and a PowerPoint deck. And that is such a great format because you're trying to also you know, some sections could be more than one sl- uh, slide or two, but it allowed you to also almost create a summary. And then as you needed more information, you could pull up Start more to, information. to add detail. You could add detail. You could slot in new slides. You could change things out. And it became a real living document. And it was such a, a useful way of actually creating a business plan. You that's also, such, yeah, that's that's quite revelatory. I mean, in yeah. terms of a business plan, I think most people see it as this concrete thing that you got to stick to, right? No. But you're saying it's a thing that needs to be iterated over time. It should be iterated. It should be shared. Also think about 
if you've got new staff coming on board or things like that, or you're trying to get people to really understand mm. the type of business you're running, the last thing you also want to do is give them a business plan that's already two years out of date and your strategy might have changed. So if you have these living documents, you can update them quickly, you can share them with your board, you can share them with your advisors, uh, you can use them when you're fundraising. So for me, I would say to any entrepreneur, create something that is useful to you and that will be a tool that will enable you to grow your business. Don't do something because it's just an exercise and you think in order to be an entrepreneur, you have to write a business plan and you've ticked the box or pay someone else to do it. That's not useful to anyone. I think the other thing you need to really ask yourself is if you are going to do a business plan, why are you doing a business plan? What is the purpose of the business plan? Is it so you as an internal team or your board or advisors understand what the roadmap is for the business in the next two to three years and possibly... Or even you personally, as you a personally? single entity who's dreaming yeah, up an idea. Absolutely. Maybe it's just to get your thoughts down on paper and to work out where the opportunity is and where the gaps are. So I think understanding the purpose of the business plan and understanding that when you also write a business plan or you create a business plan, it is a snapshot in time. And in order for it also to be a living document and to continue to be useful, it needs to be updated and constantly have more information added to it. Because your business is not a static entity. It will continually change and grow, and it's operating in a changing market as well. Oh, that macro environment, that, yeah. that's the part that you can't predict, right? So you can assume things, but you don't know how they're going to pan out. Absolutely. And I think what's also critical is it's not necessarily just about making all the slides and making everything look pretty, but it's also around understanding what information am I using to validate the opportunity to validate the potential product or solution I'm providing and to validate potentially business models, market, etc. And that information needs to be interrogated. So are you making assumptions and do those assumptions need to be tested or do you have data to back up that data? And and I think that's also a critical element of a business plan. There's so many entrepreneurs, who, <laughs> they live on assumptions, they live on gut feel and, and things like data, what the hell is that thing, know, you know? I know, I and, uh, know. And, and when you ask them for data, uh, you know, as an investor, I think you... It, it tends to be a bit thin, you know? It does tend to. It's very to, anecdotal and... Uh, very anecdotal and it's... Based on observation rather than actual raw, hardcore data. As long as it's observations of, of a significant number are okay. So if it's something that you yourself have a vested interest and very immersed within, then that's okay. Like your own experience, for example. I think that's too narrow. A good observation will often give you enough evidence to potentially see that there could be an opportunity in a certain market or space. So through your own lived experience, you might, have, you might have seen a problem and had a deep understanding, and that's led you to create a solution to address that problem specifically. So what you're saying is go down that road, make yeah. the assumptions, go, go down, even if it's a thought experiment, just so that you can start to validate it. And, Absolutely. And then if it's incorrect, then you can iterate. You can take a, exactly. a degree to the left or the right and, and obviously but change your plan exactly. accordingly. So if you had done a little bit of validation, which was speaking to 
a few people around a lunch table or a braai, and then you'd gone off and written a business plan and done lots of projections. You probably would have ended up on one path, but if you had rather used different approaches like lean methodology and creating a business plan that's a living document and highlighting assumptions as you go and that you need to test them continually, you might have come across or you might have gone down a very different development path. Mm, I get you, And yeah. so that's, that is also the power of having a living document is that you start to also figure out which assumptions you need to test and, and test quickly because they have the power to potentially make your entire idea or business obsolete if the answer is no. Alex, you, you mentioned strategy there, and I, I just want to go into it because it's such a vital part of any plan, whether it's a business plan or otherwise, like you, you need to have a strategy. Can you define that a little bit? And I want to touch upon this word because I, th- I believe it's quite a misunderstood word, right? So in your mind, how do you define strategy? So when I think about strategy, I think about it from the lens of a small business owner or a, and a startup, not from a lens of a corporate. Because I think that's what often happens is that a lot of people who get trained in strategy, you almost live in this world where anything is possible because there are abundant resources and there's, uh, you know, 500 employees, etc. And so you can execute. And whereas if you are in a startup, you are in a resource constrained environment. And I think that's what you need to really think about is like, given the fact that you are in a resource constrained environment and that you have to use these resources to pick the best opportunity and to then prove your business case against that, with that opportunity in mind, how are you going to do that? And why have you picked that opportunity versus another opportunity? And your limited resources could be your size of your team, your number of products or your product development cycle. could be the cash that you've got in your bank account to fund this business for the next 6 to 12 months. Uh, It could be even just something like uh, being able to actually reach and sell to your customers within that period. So strategy for me is, first of all, understanding what you have to work with and looking internally and also externally. So are there partnerships and other things you could potentially leverage? Then looking at the opportunity in the market, the size of the opportunity. And often every entrepreneur thinks that when they describe their market opportunity, it's enormous. <laughs> billions. Okay? Billions. Yeah, yeah. It's billions. Billions. So, okay, so you've got this opportunity, which is the size of an elephant. We all, we all get that. Mm. But then it's to figure out, okay, well, what part of the elephant are you going to eat first? Okay. And to really think about that, given what you can achieve in the time with the resources you have, where do you start? Mm. And where do you validate the need for your product or service first? Mm. And where where can you get customers quickly? So that is absolutely critical. I think that's so important because from my experience and just, you know, consulting to entrepreneurs and so on, is that um, so many entrepreneurs mistake strategy for, you know, just doing the cursory research and seeing the size of the prize and then gunning for it. So their, their, their plan, so to speak, is just to literally just make a straight line for that huge opportunity, the trillions. Or <laughs> well, their strategy and, is we will capture 10% of 
South African market within year one, 25% in year two, and then we will go global in year three. In yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, that is not a strategy. That's not a strategy. And, and I think, I mean, to summarize what you're saying, then it's it's researching, you know, internally what you have, externally what, you know, what the, the environment looks like, analyzing it properly, and then gleaning the insights in order for you to make a decision on what to do. And I'm guessing also what not to do. Absolutely. What not to do or defining what you don't do is almost as important as defining what you do do. Sure. And sometimes you will start out doing something or providing a product or service and then you need to evaluate down the line to say, does this work for the business? You know, what value does it add? Do we do we still want to do this? Yeah. Is it a product or service we still want to offer? Is it profitable? If, chapter, if it's not pr- profitable, does it add strategic value or does it create you know, additional potential future customers. So it's really understanding those aspects as well. Because the trap, I guess, is that there's so many opportunities and if they start to get excited about it, so right, we're going to launch with, you know, 10 products and they're all extensions of each other and we're going to, you know, capture the entire market. <laughs> it's, it's just too much, you know. You just don't have the capacity and the, the wherewithal to be able to deliver on that. And so, I mean, I think... So I had a chat a few years ago to Sam Paddock, founder of Get Smarter, and this is after he just exited to TU, and we were talking about scaling your business. And he said something that really has struck me, is that he says that most entrepreneurs think that when you add an additional element to your business, you think that you just kind of, so say you've got one product and you move to two. You think that you're just doubling the complexity in your business. He says it's not doubling, it's actually exponential complexity. So by having two products, you actually, you know, your business is infinitely more complex. And every time you add another aspect, so new geography, a new customer segment, you increase the complexity in your business exponentially. So for a new entrepreneur going out with 10 products to 10 different market segments and three different geographies. Also, as an investor, you want to run for the hills because it's just, there's too much complexity to allow that entrepreneur to actually even execute on one of those things successfully. And if you look at the startups that have grown successfully, they tend to do one or two things really well. And at then the beginning, at right? At the beginning, mm. and they get their market share, and then they add on additional things. And that's the key. I mean, I think so many entrepreneurs make that mistake is is doing too much because it's tempting, right? It's it's sometimes fun. It's sometimes easy to do. But then you realize that it becomes no longer easy when yeah. you're stretched across, you know, across all these different activities. And they try and build three businesses in one. So... Say, for instance, you've invented a new IoT device. You decide you're going to build the hardware and manufacture the device. So you become a manufacturing company. You're also going to develop all the software to power the IoT device as well. So you're a software development company that's going to push constant updates to that device. And then you also decide that you're going to become a maintenance and service-based business because you're now going to service all those IoT devices. Those are three businesses in one. That's such good advice. It's so and it's such an pe- easy trap, it's right? It's such an easy trap. But people are like they build hardware and then they build they have to build they're building two businesses at the same time and then they tack on services as well. And I've very rarely seen a business actually successfully being able to do that. 
know, even if you think of Yoko, so Yoko is actually a software-based business mm. and they haven't developed the hardware, they bought the hardware in. Yeah. And that's so important. Although that's a customer-facing thing. It's a customer-facing thing. So people thing. mistake it as, I mean, they're, they're essentially a data company, right? It's a data company. And, uh, data, and so they provide the point-of-sale software and their data and their data company. And that's their model. And the data is the platform upon which you can then start to offer all these different products and services. But could you imagine if they also were trying to manufacture products as Mm. well and do testing and, you know, all of that stuff? And the end-to-end thing, I mean, it's kind of been been popularized by, like, Apple, for example, is a great example. Or now Tesla, you know, you've got these these maniacal (laughs) founder CEOs who are geniuses uh, Mm. and, you know, they've done it, but... It's very, very rare that you can do that successfully. And, and I mean, with both Tesla and Apple, it's not easy. That, that trajectory no. is fraught with all kinds of Absolutely. pitfalls. What I think is also really important is to, as an entrepreneur, to reflect back and say, well, what are our core competencies what are you good at? as a team? Sure. You know, do we have any experience in building hardware? If the answer is no, then probability is you should probably outsource that to somewhere else or look mm. for off-the-shelf components. Alex, I'm starting to see why you're in such high demand <laughs> in order to go. You're like the, uh, the, the startup whisperer. And it's, <laughs> it's, such, it's such critical and frankly, I mean, quite simple advice, but it's, it's so easy for we entrepreneurs to, there's so many different traps that you can fall into. And I think that advice of saying yeah. no is so fundamental, right? And I'm not saying think small. Because you can build really big businesses delivering and developing one product or service really well. I'm not just saying build a small business, but what I'm saying is build a business that is not unnecessarily complex from the beginning because the challenge is you will probably not have the execute the resources and the mm. and the funding to execute mm. on that business and vision from the get-go. Or start at one point and look at partnering with people initially and then seeing how you can continue to deliver that or move into that space. Well, I, guess, space I, I guess even stage. the complexity, you know, I, I think about what we do at Heavy Chef. We've got quite a complex offering, which is this little education unit. Mm. But the reality is if you can master that complexity and just do that and you do that better than anyone else, then try and keep the rest simple. Mm. You know, so the distribution mechanisms, the uh, the slide, the you know, the snowball that you mm. put it down that that slide, it's, it doesn't have any hurdles in it. You want to make sure that it gathers momentum so that it can scale, so that the unit economics actually work for that yeah. that product that you've created. Mm. And that's such good advice. I mean, I want to quickly segue into some of the tools that are available to entrepreneurs to assist them with this thinking, these thought processes. And and I mean, there's quite a few out there. What, what do you recommend for entrepreneurs to deploy? In terms of keeping it lean and, and keeping it simple and focused, as we've spoken about. Sure. So I think a central reading for anyone who's starting a business would be Steve Blank. He wrote a article on the lean startup and how it changes everything. And Is that related to the, uh, the lean, the Eric Maurice book? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And it's essentially the philosophy is to build, test, learn. And I think that's something that you need to think about as an entrepreneur is how can I build a business and a plan where I can quickly identify experiments, run them or test them, or build a hypothesis, 
run an experiment to gather data and then prove or disprove that hypothesis, whether it's around price points or products. Or, so looking at that kind of methodology to, to really constantly gather data and get feedback from the market. Sure. I would say that you should have a look at a basic there's so many basic business model templates online. Just have a look at the type of information that should be contained in a business plan. Because yeah. uh, I think it will give you good ideas of what you should cover. I think that if you are looking at writing a business plan for investment, also consider what type of information your investors would be looking for and ask you for. Mm. So I think that's kind of critical. Then in terms of tools, there's some amazing tools and there are various versions of them as well. One tool to start with is the Business Model Canvas, okay. uh, which is a single A4 sheet. It's so simple, right? You download it's so it, it's, com- it's sort of subdivided into these little blocks, and then Absolutely. you sort of write in them. It starts on the right-hand side with your customer. Second is your value proposition. Third is channels. Fourth is customer relationships. And then you get your revenue model. So that half of the canvas actually looks at your customer-facing part of your business. Mm. And that's all around your value proposition and your distribution strategy. So how do you create value for your customers and get your product to your customers Mm. and capture value by them paying you for it? On the left-hand side of the canvas, it looks at your key partnerships, it looks at your key activities, your key resources, and your cost structures. Mm. And that's really around everything that you need to execute It's what do you need internally in order to create that value for your customer and get it to your customer and capture your revenue. It's such an amazing model, right? Because it's it's such a small area. That scarcity of space actually forces you to focus your thinking. Absolutely. So you can expand any one of those blocks. So key activities would be all the activities that you need to perform in order to actually execute on your growth strategy for your business. Key resources would be everything that you need in order to actually run your business and create your product or services and deliver it to your business. And then partnerships is also critical there as well. But because it's in a very contained space, it requires you to be very concise. Mm. And it also forces you to think about areas of your business which you haven't done. So if you're a typical inventor and you've created an amazing new product, I will guarantee you that about 70% of your business plan will focus on the product or service that you're building, mm. which is... The actual engineering of it. The actual as engineering. As opposed to the distribution and the customer and no, the partnerships and all that. No, it will tell you about the technical yeah. specifications. It will give you all the scientific data. You might have a nice <laughs> engineering drawing. Maybe, you know, maybe you've patented something. Yeah. <laughs> but it will tell you nothing about how are you going to commercialize I'm imagining or get this? this page with tiny little writing in one tiny of those blocks and then like a couple of words big words in the other the other blocks yeah and that template is available if you just google you, search business canvas if you canvas, if right? you if you put into Google business model canvas and you go to images, you'll find a PDF. Yeah, for it's sure. So easy. And you can print that out and you can print out a few and you can you can scribble to your Absolutely. heart's content. And then to really look at some of the other products that are available. So within the business model canvas, there's also the value proposition canvas, which actually zooms right in on the customer block and the value proposition block. So you really start out with your customer to really understand your customer and your different customer segments. And they're online, they're kind of PDFs that you can download with a whole lot of trigger questions 
to allow you to really unpack understanding your customer and then understanding your product or service and how you package your value proposition and then also to look at substitutes and then beyond the business model canvas what they also do is look at the external environment to also see because your business and your business model doesn't operate as an island it's in an environment and it is affected by other forces so it allows you to look at the macroeconomic environment trends competitors industry forces legislation regulations which all could affect your your business model because you could form the most beautiful business on a one A4 page by writing the business model canvas. But if you don't look externally, then you, you know, you're kind of building your business in the, in the dark. And I think a massive pitfall that I have seen from so many entrepreneurs is they don't understand their market well enough and they don't spend enough time understanding the market and competitor analysis. It is absolutely enormous blind spot for most entrepreneurs. And I think it's because when you've worked on a business idea, you kind of, you invest so much time and money and emotion into the the potential of this opportunity that you have blinkers on and you don't necessarily want to. That emotion gets, in, it's going to mess with your mind, yeah. right? Because you get so emotionally invested. It's just this baby that Absolutely. you don't want to I mean, let go of. I have seen people spend millions mm. on developing products and patenting things, mm. which if someone had just done a Google search, they would have found that what you're proposing is illegal. Mm or that there are masses of other competitors here, or what you've patented is not actually patentable because it's kind of common knowledge and in the public domain. So I think that's a really big, hmm. a big gap. It's such a good point, Alex. I mean, my first business, I was really young. I was 25 and I started this thing. I had no clue. And the problem was that a lot of people is actually telling me you know, this is probably not the right way of going. It's a great idea, but I mean, my first business was a, a therapy center for kids, mm. which was, you mm. know, it was wildly successful overseas. And I thought I'd do it over here in South Africa. And uh, the problem was I just used the wrong model. You know, a simple, in fact, just listening to some of the people mm. around me who are advising me, it would have absolved me from a world of pain. But the reality is, I think, you know, you also learn from those lessons and, and you, you bounce back. I want to ask you just because we've got to wrap up now, but mm. but Alex, this has been super valuable. So well, um, yeah. just on that point. Mm. So the other big thing is if people have tried to come into this market and failed, really understand why they failed. Okay. Like really go and unpack that because they have failed for a reason. And often it's not them. It might be market forces or some other factor. And you need to then understand why did they fail Sure. and ask yourself, what do I have that they didn't have which will enable me to succeed? And I think that's also something that many entrepreneurs don't ask themselves. Oh, such great advice. I want to ask you a last question then, mm. Alex. I mean, when you want to pull the trigger on, on funding or, or um, investment into a company, I mean, what are the real things that you look at? Let's just say that you look at somebody's plan and, you know, you're making a decision. What are the real triggers that makes you think this is a great investable company? So before I even look at the plan, it's all about the people. Okay. Okay. So... So what do you look for in the people? For me, it's the, do they have the necessary skills and experience to execute on this plan? Do they understand this market? And a lot of the evidence in the business plan will probably back up what 
a lot of your meetings and initial discussions have told you. And obviously, you know, angel investors, it's a, it's a more informal investment process than to say a, a venture capital company. But essentially also, if you're going to apply for VCY, a business plan, and that kind of information is so important is because essentially that is the information that you give to the investment team that they need to construct the entire investment case around. Mm. So they are going to go and validate all of that information, possibly even do some more research in order to go to the investment committee and say, we believe in this entrepreneur, we believe in the strategy, we believe in the potential of this market, and we believe that over the long term, by investing in this business, it has the potential to create significant returns or impact or whatever the, the measurements are of that particular fund. So from an investor's perspective, they're really looking at, does this entrepreneur really have a strategy for the business or entrepreneurial team have a strategy for the business? Do they have something that has significant or significantly differentiated and has something kind of protectable? Are they in line with key market trends and is this kind of a growing market? Mm. Do they have a really good understanding of the competitor landscape and be able to navigate and do you believe that they have also the necessary contacts and and market access to actually get to customers and could you potentially help them with that? And then the, do they understand the fundamentals of their business model and what is kind of almost like the, the heartbeat of that business? Do they understand if they do this, then it has that kind of impact? Yeah. So that's also really critical to really understand the mechanisms so of how they can actually affect their own outcomes absolutely and often that's then translated in a financial model or etc but often it's the spreadsheet and the numbers and the words is a way to communicate the entrepreneur's thinking and vision for the business and as you're also reading that business plan or you're going through the any information or documents provided you're constantly thinking of do all the puzzle pieces make sense is there a big blind spot hmm. Does something not quite add up? They say they want to target this market, but then they've got, they're putting all their marketing efforts and business development is through social media, which won't reach their target market. Mm. So do does so the misdirection. Yeah. yeah. And are pieces of the puzzle misaligned and what needs to shift in order to really take this business forward? Sure. It's a complex business. And mm. I think y you, you have such great experience in it and it's, um, it's the kind of topic that, for me personally, is just so fascinating. Yeah. And I love the fact that you have such a clear view of the environment. And I think there's a balanced view that you've provided today, which is, you know, obviously we have some significant challenges. But I'm I'm hoping, and I'd love to chat with you in the future further about how we progress from that policy level, just to create the rails for the entrepreneurs amongst us, just to, you know, have a smoother ride. Absolutely. To get to where But I think the be. beauty of being an entrepreneur is that you're a natural problem solver. Yeah. So yeah. where there's a will, there's a way. Um, and Lord knows we are wealthy in problems. So. We are wealthy in problems, and that means there is plenty of opportunity. And yeah, so we'll find a way. I mean, but government might have to catch up to us. Sure. And but we will find a way. We will find a way. Well, that's a great, great place to end this conversation. Thank you for your time, Alex. No, thank you. And this is a great series. Thanks, great. Fred. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of The Healthy Business Show. If you love this podcast, do let us know via social media, tag at discovery underscore essay. Use the hashtag DSY Healthy Business. And please do rate us on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your shows. 
You can also find more shows on the Discovery website at discovery.co.za forward slash corporate forward slash podcasts. Creating better businesses with Discovery Business Insurance.